0: Just a quick trigger warning before we get into today's episode, guys. We do discuss mental health and suicide pretty heavily throughout this episode. If you need help or support at any time, please reach out to Lifeline on 131114 today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I've got a very exciting guest today. This, I've, I've talked about this already, but it's probably been one of my favorite chats to date. I absolutely loved talking to Todd today. Todd Morgan is the CEO of Outside the Locker Room, which is a mental health organization that aims to educate the community on the importance of mental health and break down any stigmas surrounding mental health. I play footy at the Basin Football Club, and we are lucky enough to experience sessions at the club with Todd and Outside the Locker Room. Outside the Locker Room also have a mental health app, which provides check-ins and other mental health services today we are discussing and focusing a bit more on men's mental health this is particularly important to me as I've lost someone to suicide and I know so many other people do have stories of you know the same thing losing people or experiencing mental health problems themselves so I thought this was a really important topic to cover it is definitely a real and continuous issue here in Australia today and I just love what OTLR and Todd are doing to help open up the conversation surrounding mental health. So I feel very lucky to have been able to chat with Todd and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Let's bring him in. All right. So welcome, Todd. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with me today. I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me. No
0: worries. So Firstly, I want you to tell me a little bit about you, about Outside the Locker Room and kind of what, I guess, prompted you to become the CEO of a mental health organisation.
1: Yeah, no, good question. I'll um, I'll put a tree of warning on this for suicide and Self-Harm. Obviously, running a mental health charity, there's a lot of that sort of talk and and a lot of my background does come with that in terms of my journey and the journeys of others uh, that we've worked with throughout outside the locker room. So OTLR started back in 2015 with Jake Edwards. Uh, he used to play football in the AFL for the club, football club, went through his own mental health challenges and challenges throughout his AFL career, which led to an attempt on his own life. And throughout his recovery journey started this organisation. Uh, so it was just Jake for a couple of years. And then a- another man by the name of Brad jumped on board and then myself and Cindy became sort of this the start of the staffing for OTLR back in 2018 uh, and been there for over four years now, which has been a great journey uh, and a really big journey. And a lot hopefully another sort of 10 to 12 or 20 years to go with outside the locker room would be really nice. But our really big focus for OTLR is that we don't exist, is that you know we were able to pass the education on to sporting clubs or schools and workplaces. Uh, and then be able to put in their own well-being practices so that outside the locker room doesn't have to come and provide that education. We can start getting it to the younger generation earlier uh, and start changing the minds of the generations that are already here and, and, you know, the older generations as well and change their bias and change their mindset around mental health and well-being and, you know, positive coping mechanisms, which obviously we'll talk about a lot today. Myself and my background, I unfortunately lost two mates in the space of two weeks. Um, One was just to an accident. The other one was unfortunately to suicide. Uh, And that for me, at the time I was at uh, North Ruin football club. And to be able to see the community come together is quite powerful. Uh, And to be able to support each other and especially support young people. It was both men and women going through quite a difficult time. Uh, And that sort of really sparked for me that you know, the mental health industry, I sort of fell into it. I got asked to volunteer in a mental health charity and I said, yes, and sort of went down that path from there. But I guess the passion and the drive from it came from seeing an amazing community like a sporting community, be able to support those that are going through probably one of the most difficult times of their lives, um, especially when you throw in, you know, the loss of young men and young people. Uh, It's quite a difficult thing to go through for a whole community. And for myself, I sort of was starting to volunteer and had a best mate from high school who we sort of went two different pathways um, after high school but came back together and he had his own challenges and we I was a PT by trade before I got into mental health charity work and uh, he came to the gym and we started training and for the next sort of 12 to 13 months became really good friends again, uh, was able to... You know, become friends with his sister and, and catch up with his mum again, which was great after you know quite some time. And he was really getting on top of his own mental health and made a couple of decisions one weekend that deteriorated his uh, ability to make the proper choices, I would say, or the right choices at that time. And unfortunately, led to him taking his own life. Um, and finding out about that through a text message uh, it was quite difficult. It was just sort of, "Hey, have you heard?" And I said, "Heard what?" And and actually found out that one of my mates had passed away and I was actually waiting, at the gym waiting for him to come there and that was a, a difficult moment obviously in life and um, I guess the topic of what we're going to talk about today is going to be toxic masculinity and to really, I guess, bringing this up now around an avoidance of emotion and, and how to work through that. Um, one of the things I sort of tried to talk to everyone about when we run our education sessions outside the locker room is everyone's going to deal and cope differently and it's about working out where their emotions are going to come and and potentially how they're going to work through that and i sort of really at that time i suppressed a lot of my memories from that time and i actually did a podcast with my mum and i said you know how was i at that time what did i do Uh, because i don't really remember the whole sort of two to three weeks is a big blur and she said, you didn't avoid emotion. Your first instinct was to help other people and help them deal with their own emotions. Uh, and then would get to sort of the end of that. And then that's where I you know, had my time with my emotions. I cried and I went through my grieving process. But for the sort of two to three weeks, I didn't do that. So if you're on the outside looking in, it would be, well, you're avoiding your emotions. You're avoiding this. Uh, whereas actually I wasn't. I was doing coping the way I knew how to um, and then knew that I would go through what I was going to go through after that. Um, losing a mate another two years ago uh, from another footy club, so I play at schools for now, um, that's exactly how I dealt with it at that time as well. You know, I went through a week knowing that I was going to try and support everyone else first uh, and then go through my own challenges or my own emotions after everything had sort of settled. And I remember one of my mates, uh, she came up and said, you know, you need to sort of show some emotion, you need to, you know, express what you're feeling and I said I will it's just this is my pathway of doing it so I think it's really interesting you know going through that journey and be able to step back and have a look into that and go well everyone's going to be a little bit different um, but that was sort of my journey into outside the locker room I I lost my mate I lost his name was Jake uh, his mum Deb called me up I think it was about six months after he passed away and said uh, you need to come to a cafe and we're going to have a chat and have a coffee and talk and I said all right no worries and we went there, and uh, she said very much straight away that you're going to stop being a PT and you know, you're going to tell Jake's story for outside the locker room. So she said, you know, you need to go and tell Jake's story. And, and Deb's big thing was that, you know, if there was a, a program like outside the locker room while we were growing up and we were playing football, or playing sport in general, that it may have broken down those barriers between you have to go and see a counsellor or a psychologist, which is, you know, in her words, a white coat. Um, and actually hearing from just normal everyday people that have had a background in sport or have a passion to talk about mental health or what the challenges they're going through. So it was a really big push from her to myself uh, to go and tell that story, but also knowing that I already was in the space to start off with, had a really big passion for it and really wanting to sort of get out there, out there and, and spread that message and, you know, I sort of, once she said that, I went home and actually found a photo of, of Jake, or, and it was around a random mental health night where some three very brave people told their stories in front of a room of 350 people, and it was messages from him and photos from him about, do I look good in this? Is this the right tie? What about this? And I just remember sort of that night, you know, him being able to catch up with my mum again after a couple of years and not seeing her, and you know, they had a big hug and they chatted for a good hour and just the, the happiness that he got out of it, and the, the journey that he was going down. I think the hard part for me was that when we did lose him, he was about two weeks away from going back to playing football and going back into the sporting environment. So if it had it been two weeks later, you know, maybe that support system would have been there. Maybe those conversations could have been occurring. Um, and it really moved me into outside the locker room and went, OK, this is sort of the path that I want to take. Um, And then having been in it for four years now, the amount of stories that are so similar to the one that I've got for both men and women, uh, losing both men and women to suicide or self-harm or just, you know, deaths in general or, you know, they've gone down a path of drugs and, um, you know, self-destruction in a way uh, is, you know, it's rampant. Uh, So an organisation like us going in there to try and start some conversations is really important.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. That's in. That's insane. I think, firstly, I mean, going back to the start of that, so inspiring of, is it Jake who started the who started the organization?
1: Yeah, Jake had yep. started it cool. um, back in 2015.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, his story in the first place to be, I guess, you don't want to say brave enough, but it does take a lot for people to get up and talk about their own personal experience. And for him to do that and decide, I'm actually going to use this to help others is awesome. And then, of course, finding people like yourself who I guess so unfortunate that you have lost the people that you have lost. And I'm just, the way you just kept speaking about more and more people just then is obviously just so sad, but now you're using that as a way to help other people. And like you said, even the fact that, that your first reaction was to go, all right, I'm going to sit back and hold on to my emotions for a minute while I help others. That's That's so inspiring. And that's really awesome for other people. And I think that just proves that you are absolutely in the place of work that you should be, Um, because I know a lot of people, as you said, grief and and, you know, those kind of things hit people so differently and you don't necessarily know how you're going to react to things. I know that, you know, talking to anyone, I think. Everyone has a story of someone, whether they know someone who's committed suicide, whether they know someone who's dealt with mental health problems in general, every single person you talk to, I think would have a story in, in some sense. So that is really important as well, that you can relate to people in that way. Um, and really, yeah, just get the conversation going. I think as a teacher, as someone, you know, I teach between the ages of 14 to 16, um, I'm a health teacher. So we talk about a lot of mental health stuff. We get people in, we do all those good things. Um, and having that conversation is invaluable even, you know, in the classroom. But the fact that I know that hopefully now they're going off to their their clubs and they're going, you know, outside of school, they're able to still continue that conversation. And even if they use the things that they're learning in school and, and taking that out and, you know, just doing what your organisation does and starting that conversation is so important and honestly invaluable to, to those young people. So really good job with all of that. I just, I can't believe, um, that story, your story in particular, you know, with, with how you got to where you are. And I'm just, I'm so sorry to hear about, about the people that you lost. Cause it's, it's one of those things where it's like, what if, you know, all of those things, but at least now you're using it to, um, you know, to better the mental health of other people. So really awesome.
1: No, thank you. And it's, I guess through that story, there's a lot of, uh, you know other people who are affected by all of it as well and uh, when we go back to sort of how different people cope they all have their own different coping mechanisms and having those supports around was amazing to get through and i know definitely with with fitzy was you know he would be the first one to come up and give you a hug and to support you through and ask you what you need and all those sorts of things and um it was a really i guess difficult time for me when we lost him because i would actually say to deb you know we, we were there we were talking what more could i have done and You know, it was just a couple of, you know, uh, decisions that were made that probably, you know, sent him down that path, unfortunately. But you look back at it and you go, you know, he would be the first one to support. He would be the first one to give a smile and give a hug and, you know, reach out. And it's just having those conversations and having those support networks at the times you potentially need them, um, which is really important. And having the conversations around, well, what do you need at this point in time? Because... How people cope and how different people cope is going to be completely different. I can't meditate to save my life. Um, (laughs) But if you said, right, let's go for a kick of the footy or, you know, let's go to the gym or uh, let's go climbing or something like that. I'd be like, yeah, brilliant. Let's go and do that. But if you're like, hey, you know, you need to do some yoga or meditate or slow down. That's probably not going to work for me. And I think it's really important when we go into sporting clubs that how you support needs to be a two-way conversation. The person may need support, but you also need to ask them, what do you need at this point in time? Right now, I need you to go away and just give me my space. That may be okay. That, that's potentially what that person needs. Um, and then giving them the space to come back and go, okay, well, at this point in time, I need this, uh, I think is a really important part of what we do, Is not one size fits all. Uh, And it's about having a two way conversation around how do we support each individual, uh, I think is really important.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had a conversation with someone recently about loss, and they were saying sometimes, you know, of course, it can make people uncomfortable if someone's going through something. Um, It's not always a, a natural reaction to just feel, you know, like you know what to say to people. And they said to me, sometimes you just need to ask the person, what do you actually need from me? Like, let them tell you that's it like you don't need to give them a silver lining or say or oh, at least this or at least that or it could be this you know just let them sit in their grief let them process it and let them tell you and let them know that you're there and that's you know
1: and yeah. that transfers over not just with a loss or with grief but that transfers over into you know any emotion that someone's going to they could have had a bad day or their mental health is going difficult and one of the big things that has always stuck out for me is I had a had a day that was not great and i went over to a mate's house for having dinner and they said you know do you want to talk about it or you want me to just leave you alone and we'll talk about something else I was like something else you know that was one of the best questions i've been asked because it allowed you the space to choose which option you wanted to at that point in time and they were respectful of okay let's just talk about something else so we ended up talking about whatever it may have been um, but not being pushed to talk about the bad day and, and talk through it. And what actually ended up happening was I sorted it out myself in my own head and the next day let it all go, but that was a really big turning moment to not have to talk about it if I didn't want to.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and that can be transferred across mental health, loss um, or just social everyday life
0: awesome on that kind of wavelength I know you did touch on toxic masculinity a little bit but I kind of wanted that to be a bit more of the focus of today's episode so just so it's like super clear could you kind of tell the listeners what what is toxic masculinity what does that mean what does it look like
1: yeah so I think the the label and the definition of toxic masculinity and then when you asked me to do this I thought it was great and did you know a bunch of research for it the one thing that got me really quickly was that there is no real set meaning for toxic masculinity there's not a real consensus around what it is there's some similar views inside everything and i think that's really important to know is that it can really go across a lot of different wavelengths depending on who you're talking to Um, but the main ones that sort of came up was sort of that toughness or suppression of feeling um anti-femininity which is you know not showing emotion and not accepting help Uh, we had that sort of power struggle and and dominance between sort of social life and the financial um, extreme self-reliance. And then you've also got, you know, I think the big one that started coming out was, you know, that anything feminine, which went to crying or showing emotion um, in that aspect was the main things that came up for toxic masculinity.
0: Yeah. So really um, that bottling up of emotion, that being strong, being stoic, being, you know, not letting people know how you're feeling, sort of thing. What impact, I guess, would that have on mental health, would you say, specifically for men, of course?
1: Yeah, I think the impact that it has on it is it really sort of goes back to education. and It's something we see a lot of, um, especially in outside the locker room. We work with close to 55% rural communities. Um, so when you go out to a rural community or regional community, there's very limited services to get help, um, but also you've got uh, a very – stuck mindset of what it means to potentially be vulnerable and show your emotions and those sorts of things. In terms of mental health, I think going back to, and I, I call it toxic masculinity a label um, because I think it can be a label. And it, I think people like to nowadays put each other underneath the label. You're a feminist, you're a male activist, you are, you know, you're hom- homosexual, you're heterosexual. There's a lot of labels that are getting thrown around and going through, I guess, the points of what toxic toxic masculinity was, I think the label of it is more around the education. We probably haven't educated a lot on this sort of stuff. So if I look at the emotional avoidance and especially on men, well, the education that we find and the conversations we have in a lot of communities is, well, I don't know how to express my emotions because I've never been told, you know, I've never actually been told on how to do it. Um, And we have a session called wellbeing lifestyle and the whole focus is coping mechanisms. So, what is your coping mechanism? What is your way to show your emotions? Is it by talking? Is it by just going to exercise? Is it by anger? Is it by frustration? You know, actually having those conversations around what are you actually doing at the moment to work through your coping mechanisms? And I think that's something we're not doing enough of. And it's definitely something we need to start doing Uh, because the impact on mental health when we talk about, you know, We may not be suppressing our feelings. We may not know how to actually express them and express them in the way that we want to express them. And each individual is going to be different. As I said, I didn't cry at the start. I am a crier. I'll put my hand up for that. But in that first sort of two or three weeks after losing Jake, I didn't cry. And so if you had to look from the outside in, it may have looked like I was suppressing my feelings, but I wasn't because I was still supporting others. I was still having conversations around what my feelings were, but I didn't actually cry. And it wasn't until I stopped and then, you know, let everything come in um, after everything had happened, you know, then I sort of, you know, had had a cry and then that was it moved on and, and started working through my grief. Um, so the impact on on mental health and the behaviour on mental health is that when we start to push what we think is societally right um is where we start to get ourselves in trouble because if you ask anyone doesn't have it could be male or female hey what's going on what are you going through and they go i don't know that's actually a, a proper response i don't know is right now i am not sure and i may need time to unpack this to actually give you a proper response around why i'm feeling like this why i'm acting like this But what ends up happening is they go, I don't know, and people then keep pushing. Well, you need to know, what do you mean you don't know? Like, instead of giving them space and time to work it out, um, it starts to really impact on that person. And that's where things like your aggression comes from, or, you know, I'm not gonna be vulnerable because you don't listen to me in that right now I don't know. Um, And one of the big things we use is you can't rationale an irrational mind. So an irrational mind may be doing something that you don't agree with or you don't understand, um, and you're trying to put an ir- a rational thought to it, but at that point in time, that person's so lost, confused, misunderstood, they may not be able to give you a straight answer. So we actually start to compound the problem and create a vicious cycle, which becomes really difficult.
0: Yeah. It's crazy how individual it is as well. Like you were talking about there and understanding communication, I think is such an important part of that too, because it, it seems like one of those things that we should all be able to do, doesn't it? You go, what well, communication or, you know, understanding your emotions. Some people just get it, but it's not easy. And I understand that. I'm one of those people, um, I know, me and particularly someone else in my life, I'm very much like you, I'm a crier. I will do things straight away as well I need to to get it out straight away to talk about it. I love to talk about my feelings and my emotions. But I've got someone in my life who doesn't deal with it like that and they kind of deal with it on their own first. And to me initially that was a real weird thing for me. I was like, what do you mean? You you don't want to talk and here I am asking a million questions and It took a conversation to be like, hey, this is actually not how I deal with things. We need to work out a way, um, you know, to set some boundaries and to make sure we understand those, you know, that communication changes between people. Um, And I think that just is, I guess, having empathy for other people and understanding other people. And again, that's something that needs to be taught in a lot of cases too. Super important
1: yeah and really that conversation that you have with that person is really groundbreaking Mm. you know and and it shouldn't be it shouldn't (laughs) be groundbreaking um but you know we as a society and as people it's like well if i deal with it this way and i've been told that everyone should be dealt with it this way and deal with their emotions straight away well other people may you think it's internalizing and if you're seeing from an outside in that what they're doing is destructive, that's fair enough. Mm. But if they're just dealing with it and it's not something you're used to, you need to have that conversation and it becomes quite an interesting thing. The amount of sort of sporting clubs that I've gone to where we run a session, we go, right, well, you know, how could you support someone? You know, what COVID mechanisms do you have? And over COVID, golf became a massive thing for both men and women. Um, And, you know, in the room, I remember a couple of weeks ago, one guy was like, oh, yeah, i just go and play golf. And then 20 people were like, you play golf, I play golf. And so then now they've got a whole, you know, Sunday, there's like 20 to 30 people that go and play golf, both men and women. And then as you're walking around for four hours, you have those conversations around how your week has been, you know, what's going on, what may be happening. Um, But how different people work through their emotions is always going to be individualized. Um, But knowing that they've got the space that, hey, if you do want to talk, I'm here. Um, but they're talking maybe in different ways. It may not be in complete, not a detail that one is used to, and maybe just really simple things like, today was a really bad day and this is what I went through. Oh, that's sorry to hear, do you wanna talk about it? No, I don't. I just wanted to express that I had a bad day. Let's move on and focus on something positive. That's actually a way of dealing with their negative emotion because what they'll end up doing, you know, that's how I deal with my negative days. I'll then push that negativity away and go, all right, I acknowledge that I had a bad day, but I want to focus on the positive. How was your day? What are we doing tonight? You know, um, what can we go and do to, to make ourselves feel good, whether that's exercise or um, journal or watch a movie or, or put our favorite TV show on everyone's going to be different. So it's really important to take a step back and find out what is going to work for each other.
0: Yeah. And I love that, that um, you know, one conversation ends up in all these people coming together and having, you know, a similar interest, something so easy as, as just one similar interest. And then you have all these conversations generating and those connections forming. And that's so important. I think that's the best thing about sporting clubs is the community and the way that people come together and the friendships that you make and the bonds that you make. So what kind of, what role do sporting clubs have when it comes to toxic masculinity? I know we talked a a little bit about this off, um, offline before, But in terms of it being kind of, especially in footy clubs, a more male-dominated space, um, how do you think we can improve club culture and kind of keep working towards men sharing their feelings with each other, especially when clubs and sporting clubs are such a tight-knit part of that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think even just with sporting clubs, you can put it across, you know, we work with workplaces and schools as well, um, and we do a lot in sort of the trade construction space um, too, in terms of running our sessions. So what I'm about to talk about now doesn't just have to be the sporting club, but it can actually transfer across into workplaces. And we actually see, you know, these skills being picked up by workplaces as well and, and improve their culture. Um, when we look at, I guess, the, the toxic masculinity of a sporting space, it really goes down to the individual club and then the individuals inside that club. Um, so we can't just label, you know, every sporting community is like this and they've got a toxic masculinity culture Um, because sometimes, yes, they do, and there needs to be education and needs to be hit on the head really quickly, Um, but there are some clubs that, you know, are going in a really, really good direction. They have some things to work on, and it's just as simple as having a conversation that's going to be able to improve that, and the example I've got of this is the first time I ran what we call an inclusion and respect session, and this was back four years ago and it still sticks with me now um was the football club getting a women's team coming in and one of the things was how do we make this place more accepting of everyone and one of the ladies in the room wrote down we share the same change rooms um so guys can you put a towel on when you walk from the showers to your back and it was as simple as that that i went you know what that's a really good point something i would never have thought of Because growing up, when you only got males in the change rooms, you just walked out with no towel. That's how it would always be. And there would have been 60 blokes in the room that went, yeah, we can do that, that's really simple. So it was just about having an honest conversation. And then when we look at the sporting clubs we go into, it is really about actually opening up and just having an honest conversation and going, hey, this isn't working for us, we need to improve it. Um, So one that comes up almost every time we run a session is you know, picking up your strapping and cleaning up the rooms. Now, I think if you've ever played in the sporting club before, you've heard that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but until that actual conversation happens, do you actually then get that light bulb moment and go, that's a really simple thing that we can fix. And so let's go and do that. Um, sporting clubs that have got female teams, both for football and netball, for example, um you know they get quite upset and they don't get the support from the, the male sides and it's not actually until you turn around and go hey guys remember there is the female sides you need to go and support them as well do males turn around and go you know what we probably should because then a light bulb moment comes on because you're so wrapped up in what you um what you're used to uh, and the same for the netball sides we had a club a couple of weeks ago where the netball was like well the footballers don't come and watch us and then surprisingly, the footballers on the other side of the room were saying the netballers don't come watch us. So they both had the same problem. And then when they actually said, oh, this is what we're going through, this is a challenge that we're facing in our culture, they all went, oh, well, we can go and support each other. That'll be really simple. And then the word coming back from that club was we had the most footballers watching the netballers ever. And then we had the biggest crowd ever because all the netballers stayed to watch the, the senior game. Um, so it really comes down to that communication in a sporting club and in a workplace as well communicate on what is challenging at this point in time and have an open conversation around it but also come with a solution what is your solution to the challenge and how can we potentially make that an improvement and have you know a really big green tick on our culture
0: yeah Yeah. awesome i feel like you kind of just covered the next question which how do we kind of call out the behavior and educate
1: calling it out is really simple you just have to call it out you have to be open and honest and, and call it out really quickly You know, we're getting um, feedback from all our facilitators and our welfare champions right across the country in that it's very hard to find volunteers and it's very hard to find, you know, players at the moment across all sports, across all age groups. Everyone sort of stepped away from that sporting culture. Um, And what we're starting to find is even spectators are getting, you know, heated and taking their aggression out at the local sporting community. And they're going, well, what do we do? And usually what we're saying is, well, do you actually call it out? Do you actually take that person aside and say, this behaviour is not on, this is not what we're about? The answer is usually no, um, because they they don't want to have that confrontation. Uh, So it's about setting those boundaries early going, this is not what we stand for, and if you go against what we stand for, we're going to call it out, and then if you continue on, we're going to remove you. And... Really, I think a lot of people haven't over the last couple of years because we've been told, no, you can't go outside. No, you can't go 5K from your house. No, you can't do this. Everyone's very much sick of no, but we need to get back to accepting and respecting. When someone says no, that means no. Um, and, and it's a no for a reason. If that person's getting angry, explain to them why it's a no. Um, why we're calling out this behaviour and why this behaviour is not on, this is the reason why. Whether you agree with the reason why or not, These are the standards we've set in our community and you need to respect them. And if you don't respect them, you can't be a part of that community anymore until you learn that this is the the direction we want to go in to create a safe space for everyone.
0: Yeah, I think that's really, really important is making sure that everyone, especially when it comes to both men and women's teams as well, making sure that everyone has the same expectations and really creating that I know at my footy club, I play at the Basin. Of course, you know that. Um, I don't know what the listeners do. Uh, and we, before every season, our coaches and our captains get a list of expectations. And I don't want to say rules, but kind of rules or, or boundaries, should I say, um, about things that are expected of us. So those are about, you know, drugs within the club, uh, respect that we are to show not only to the people within the club, but to our opponents as well. Um, you know, we talk about how are we as individuals going to contribute to a positive club culture. And I think even that like little, that seems little, I guess it's, it's short, it's quick. We, we spend 10 minutes on it after training, just writing down a couple of things, having a quick chat about it that stays in the back of my mind the entire season. Cause I've got that in my head. What did I say? How am I contributing, Um, you know, to a positive club culture? What am I, you know, I'm going out there with the uniform on and how am I holding myself to a, to account in a lot of ways as well. And I think that is, yeah, just so important, and that's awesome what, what you said about all of that. I think um, yeah, yeah I think that creating think are
1: really good because, mm-hmm. and again, it goes back to being open and honest about what is you know what is expected, and actually having that conversation because people don't know what they're not told. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are starting to forget that is if I'm not educated, I'm not told. Um, then you're you're not going to learn, and you're not going to learn why to do this, why not to do that. And having those expectations is really, really important. And and turning around to the people that are involved in that community, like simple things as like saying hi, hello to everyone when you rock up. Now, when people rock up to work, they go, I'm too busy to say hi, hello. And they rush around, they've had a bad day. They're like, no one wants to talk to me. It's like, well, did you take five minutes to say hello to everyone? If you're in a sporting environment, think of those people that have marked the grounds Or working in the canteen or volunteering their time for the day how many times have you gone up and said thank you you know thank you for marking the ground or thank you for cleaning up the rooms or thank you for being here early to open up the rooms and being here for nine hours of the day because sport and work is not a right it's a privilege and i think we all need to really remember that really quickly um and the other thing too is that until you're actually told you won't actually think to be able to do that an example of that was a a sporting club that we worked with, they had a player who we educated them what the signs and symptoms were and he actually took a step back and went, you know what I'm actually going through something right now and I need to take a step back and, and sort myself out which was great by him and he came to the footy club to watch two weeks later because he stepped back from football just to try and get himself right. He acknowledged that his sport at that point in time was causing him a lot of stress and performance anxiety and those sorts of things and one of the Points that I always say is, we'll shake hands with everyone and say hello. And he was actually at the gate, and before the seniors ran out on the ground, every single player actually went and said hello to him and said thanks for coming down. But they wouldn't have known that if someone didn't educate them. And I think that's really important is to have those really open conversations and go, here's what we expect. Here's what are obviously um, our no-goes and, and what we don't want to have in our culture. And then everyone's on the same page. They can't go, oh, well, no one ever told me. So you just need to be able to tell everyone have those you know, points in place.
0: Yeah, make them really clear. Yeah, on that a little bit. I know, obviously, that guy uh, taking a step back. How would you suggest people check in with their mates, make sure they're all right? Maybe someone has taken a step back, whether it's from a club or work, or you know, just friends in life. What are some things people can do to to check in with them and make sure they're okay?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good one, and again, it'll go down to each individual. Like, I am not very good at talking on the phone. I don't know why. It's just never been my thing, but text messages has always been great. Um, so to be able to check in on someone is just consistently just saying, hello, how are you? Um, and now the answer you're usually going to get back from how are you is good or fine. Um, so if you stop and ask a second time, how are you really, then that may open up a conversation and go from there. Uh, and I think we're checking in with people It's about consistency, so it's about consistency with saying hello. It's about consistency with having just different conversations. It doesn't have to be, I noticed this, and I know you're going through a difficult time. It could just be a conversation about every any Because then when you make friends with that person, they may turn around and go, I've had a really shit day, and this is what I'm going through. But they, that may be six to eight months down the track. Um, so consistency is the big thing for all these skills. So, hi, how are you? Really important. If you're noticing someone's going through a challenge, you can actually say to them, I've noticed these five things and, uh, you know, is everything okay? Uh, And if they say, no, it isn't, be prepared to listen. And I think that's the big thing, listening to hear rather than to respond. Don't try and fix that person's problem, just let them talk. They may fix their own problem while they're actually talking. Um, And one of the big taboo ones, I think that a lot of people come up with is the phone. You know, the phone's actually a great tool. It's a fantastic tool, technology is great. For anyone that's out there, that drives to work, where you might have a 30-minute to 60-minute drive to work, that could be three or six, 10-minute conversations that you have. Instead of listening to talkback radio, which is usually pretty crappy, (sighs) or listening to music, you might just call on the way home from work and have six, 10-minute conversations when you're stuck in traffic. Learn about how that person's day was. Again, it may not turn into their mental health or what they're struggling with, but again, if we take our mindset away from it always has to be about how you're feeling to celebrating wins or you had a really good day you know you finished that job in record time that's brilliant that's awesome great work or my kids did this that's brilliant or you know they've got a grand final on the weekend i'll come down and watch so then you're creating even more social connections um, but if phone calling is not your thing like me it could be a text message how's your day been and you might send out five of those messages at night and it starts five different conversations a really random person in your phone that you haven't spoken to for a while and send that message, you're usually going to get a pretty weird response back. Um, but it does start a conversation really quickly with someone that could lead to an in-person social interaction that you might have somewhere else down the track. So, but all that has to be consistent. If you're not consistent with it, um, then it's going to be hard to build that proper connection to have those more meaningful conversations when you need to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So important that consistency, making sure that you're, you're doing it continuously. And I think another thing with like, even just saying, Hey, how are you? And, and giving someone else the opportunity to open up to you. Sometimes I found when I've been going through things as well, and I need someone to talk to, if I check in with other people, let them have a chat. They're going to ask you back more often than not. And so then you can also have the opportunity, of course, if that's your thing, if you're like me and like talking about it, you can then kind of relate to each other. If maybe you're going through something similar or you're both having a bit of a time, you then just feel like you've got so much more of a connection. You know next time that if you, you need something, that person's, most likely going to be there for you you've got that check-in person and even if that's just one person you know I know you said you can you can message all your mates if you want but even just having one one person that you can consistently go you know what I'm going to check in on them I know they're going to check in on me as well let's just keep doing that together and at least you know that they're there at the end of the day
1: correct and I think it's also around having the ability to open up to someone and go, hey, I'm actually going through something in the moment and I need a chat. Yeah. You know, I think that's also the big one. If you're waiting for someone to check in on you, you may have to turn around and open up your vulnerability first, um, which may lead to them opening up their vulnerability. But there's nothing wrong with turning around to your mates and going, hey, I'm having a really shit time and I need to talk about this. Or even better, which is always, hey, listen to what went really well for me today. You know, we need to start having more of those conversations Um, because I think we're really missing out on celebrating our wins, you know, having a conversation to go, you know, this is what I did really well. I brought a house or I had a baby or I got a promotion at work, or you know what, today was just a really good day. And actually explaining why that was a really good day is really important as well. So it doesn't just have to be reaching out to say, checking in on someone or going, hey, I'm going through a bit of a difficult time. But It's also reaching out to celebrate the wins and then your friends and your family will hopefully celebrate their wins as well with you. We start to create an, a really good positive culture in our own little communities.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting because I've i got a, a class that I do. It's a health-based class at school. And every morning or every time we've got class, we start with either like a gratitude or whatever. We stand in a circle. And I did one the other week that was tell me something that you're most proud of. and. Every other prompt that I've given my kids, they've been fine. They've all had something, no passing, none of that. This one, they really struggled with it. They all sat there for ages going, I don't know what I'm proud of. I don't know what I've done. I haven't done anything, this, this, that. And I had to kind of explain to them, oh, it's. it can be anything. Did you brush your teeth twice yesterday? Great. Awesome. Proud of yourself. Did you, you know, sit your exams and you pass them or, you know, you sat them anyway and you were just proud that you got there? I was like, it doesn't have to be anything huge. And I think that was really important for them and important for everyone because it doesn't, you know, those little wins don't necessarily have to be, it can be the great things like I got a promotion, I had a baby, whatever else. But it can just be, you know, this morning I got to get up and drink a coffee in the sun and that was awesome and that was like something that made me happy in the day. And then all of a sudden the person that you're talking to is thinking, hey, what what good thing happened to me? What did I appreciate about my day? You kind of get that gratitude going without even realizing it. I think that's really important too.
1: It definitely is, and if you put it back to a sporting contest like we do and we look at, especially like a footy club, if you've got 22 to 26 players in a team, not every person's going to be able to get 40 disposals and kick six goals. Um, and it's near on impossible to get 26 players to do that in any given game. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so you want to be able to celebrate the little wins and just rocking up to training and having a community and maybe getting a kick or a smother or a tackle on the weekend could be What that person's really positive and proud of on their weekend, and to be able to then stand there after the game and, and have conversations with different people, you know, that could be their positive. And we really need to start praising those sorts of things and really bringing them to light that you're right, not every day has to be a really big win, but we need to celebrate the wins more and be proud of those people that are around us for the wins that they are having. You know, they read a book or they, you know, finally got out, and went for a run or thank you for still coming down and playing football, even though you're not the fittest and you're not the best. You know, we really value you being here so that person stays around and continues to be part of that social community, which would be massive for them.
0: Yeah, those one percenters, huh, footy, footy lingo? <laughs>
1: that's it, the one percenters <laughs> the one percenters. that's for yeah. sure.
0: <laughs> so last final question for you today, I want you to tell me a little bit, I know we talked about the labels and stuff, but can you give me some examples of what healthy masculinity looks like?
1: Yeah, so I reckon with healthy masculinity and, and, and looking at males, especially in particular with this one and, and taking away from the other genders is, I think healthy masculinity is understanding what are your coping mechanisms. Everyone's going to be different. Now, that could be gaming, that could be exercise, that could be football, it could be whatever sport you choose, or it could be journaling, whatever it may be. I think a really big thing for healthy masculinity is trial and error. What is the thing that's going to work for you? Uh, And knowing, you know, I'm not a car person, could not for the life of me, you know, fix a car. Uh, But there's a group of young kids at the end of my street that every Friday they've got their four-wheel drives out. There's about five of them. They're all working on the cars. They're working on each other's cars. That's their thing. So working out what your coping mechanisms are. And if you're sitting there right now going, I don't know what my healthy coping mechanism is, well, you've got to go and learn, and you've got to go on trial and error, and you will find your thing. Everyone's got a thing. Um, And it might be you're trying to suppress what that actually is, but it's going to be really good to figure that out. The other healthy masculinity one is to actually open up around what do you need when you're going to show your emotions. So again, if you are that type of person that isn't going to show emotion or is potentially going to internalize it and then has a way of of working through that healthily, you have to be honest with your partners or open with your family and your friends because as you said before, you're one who would get on top of it right away and and talk about their emotions and the person you're talking about, that's not them. Um, You potentially may have had some stress around that. Um, and if you're not confident to go, hey, you do this or, or what is your way of dealing with it, um, then you're going to continue on with that stress. So being really open really quickly in regards to this is me, this is how I deal with it. Um, and I really need you to accept that and respect that is going to be my healthy masculinity. And I think the big one, and you touched on it before, is, is calling it out. You really need to start calling out behavior that does not suit the culture and suit the person that you're trying to be. Now, we're all going to make mistakes. We all know that. And forgiveness is going to be a really big thing. But if you've been called out on your own behaviour, take a step back and go, well, why did that happen? Where do I need to improve? And then hopefully you do improve so then you can call out that behaviour that you don't agree with or society doesn't agree with anymore um, so that we can actually continually improve on moving away from, yeah, that's just sort of how it is to, well, that's not how we want to be. And I think that's a really big thing in regards to calling it out for especially the older generation. We're still seeing it. The older generation are, well, this is what we, you know, it's just how it is. It's how it's always been. Well, that's not how it is in 2022. So we need to change that culture. We need to be more accepting. We need to come together a lot more um, and actually really start to call it out. At the moment, it actually occurs. I think that's going to be really beneficial. Yeah,
0: super important.
1: What's your thing? What's my thing? Yeah. My coping mechanism?
0: Yeah.
1: I've got two dogs. That's probably my big one. Two dogs. (laughs) Uh, Exercise is probably mine. Uh, Massive reader as well.
0: Okay, Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, huge reader. And then you sort of started journaling, didn't go too well. Uh, Got back into it a little bit better, which has been good. Um, But yeah, sort of exercise and the dogs are probably my big one. It takes five minutes to throw on the ball and those two little dogs run around and chase it and just sort of get you back into the mindset. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I'm not one to open up massively about my feelings and what I'm going through because I have my own ways. I see my own counsellor once a month and we touch base and I still go there even though things are going well. Um, So I will put my hand up is that it's not how I deal with things. But if someone said, hey, do you want to talk about it today? Nine times out of ten, I'm going to say no. But on that tenth time, I probably will. And leaving that space open is really important. I went through a difficult time at the start of this year I was able to call up my mates and say, hey, you know, can we go for a walk? I'm going to come around and have a beer. Um, it doesn't always obviously have to be with alcohol, but that's just sort of what I did. Um, and I said, hey, this is what I'm going through. I don't need you to do anything. Don't change. But I thought it was good to let you know. You know, we've been mates for close to 10 years. They always check in, but they always leave the door open, if that makes sense. So they may not always go, "Hey, you are feeling? But the door's always open there. And I think that's really important um, to not get frustrated if someone doesn't open up in the time you want them to Um, but it may be 10 years down the track where they actually need that one time to go hey mate sit down for half an hour this is what i'm going through it sucks Uh, i don't need to change anything i just need you to keep being the same but if i've been a bit off or you notice me being a bit off over the next couple months this is why don't need you to ask me how i'm going i just need you to continually be who you are Um, so, you know, my thing is not to open up, but it happens sometimes, um, but yeah, dogs, exercise, reading, they're probably my three go-tos.
0: That's good. Awesome. I think a really important thing that you just said there as well, was going and seeking further help. Of course, I'm the same. I go to a therapist as well. Um, but continuing to go when things are going well, I think that is so important saying that because i think a lot of people think oh i'm only going to reach out for help or i'm only going to go um you know seek further help like it could be just talking to a mate or going and getting you know professional help like seeing a therapist when you're at your lowest but that's not it those services are available for you whenever you need them and that can be when things are going well because as someone, like I said, I just need to talk about it all the time. And a part of that isn't, you know, I'm not going to my family or my partner every single day and, and kind of trauma dumping on him if I need it. I've got yeah. those services and I've got someone there to be like, oh, hey, I need to book an appointment in. I've got some things I want to talk through. Um, and I know that you guys have an app where you have all that information on there as well. Can you touch a little bit about that app? Yeah.
1: So the probably the easiest one is to probably go to our website. Um, Yeah. if you went to otlr.org.au and you can find Welfare and that will connect you with Redefine. Um, So Nat from Redefine is actually my counsellor. That's sort of how we became involved in, in the business, which has been great. But you go through there and, again, I went to Nat for more business development. So I was like, all right, I need to learn some skills. I have mentors in business, but I sort of knew from Nat Services it wasn't just counselling. And most counsellors aren't or most psychologists aren't. You go there and go, okay, I'm in this stuck position. What do I do? Um, So the way I usually explain how counsellors work is you could be in a really big knotted ball and they'll be able to untangle that for you by allowing you to talk. Um, but if you head to otlr.org.au, Redefine Life run low-cost counselling. So instead of it being $150, it's only $40. You awesome. get the first 15 minutes free. So around about 50% of people who reach out are usually looking for advice, for support for someone else. Um, and then you get the option to continue on with the counselling if you want to, or you can just take the skills you've been given. Um, so it's a really great service to have. Uh, to be able to go to that and go, hey, I need support with this, or I just want some skills. I don't actually want counseling at this point in time. But what we see happen is people may call back two or three times or reach out two or three times it's on that third or fourth time. They go, yep, yeah, I'll continue on with counseling through here. I think the really important thing to note as well is that you're not going to get along potentially with the first or second counselor or psychologist that you see. So it may be trial and error all the way through. But the good thing about it is most counselors and most psychologists are comfortable in their own profession to go completely understand. Let's try and find you someone you may click with. Um so don't get disheartened if you don't find the right person at the right time. Uh, but you can reach out as I said, otr.org.au click on the welfare tab and they'll be able to go and get the support.
0: Awesome. That's so great. Um, and yeah you guys are just doing such a fantastic job with all of that. Just want to say a massive, massive thank you again. I think this episode will be a super popular one. I think, uh, you know, especially the, the toxic masculinity stuff and that topic, we probably still don't talk about it enough. And I think having organizations like OTLR, (laughs) it's so important and and so great that you guys are spreading the message of positive mental health. And I just love the way that, you know, you talked about at the start that you, um, are just providing people with the education so they can then go off and use it in their everyday lives and pass it on you know it doesn't stop with just a presentation it's something that they can continue on and take through and you know as someone i as i said before i'm at the basin footy club and you've come to our club multiple times i think you've you've been there twice this year but i know other seasons as well and that's just been invaluable um at our club as well and everyone has something positive to say about it so if you are listening to this and you are someone at a footy club or a school or a workplace and you think we need something like this, definitely hit outside the locker room up and make sure that, um, yeah, you you get educated on it because it's so important. But, yeah, thank you, and thank you so much for spending the time and coming on and, and chatting with me today.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me. No
0: worries. That is all for today's episode, guys. I hope that you got so much out of that and just feel inspired to check in with your mates and most importantly, take care of yourself. Remember, there is always support available. Head to otlr.org.au to check out more from outside the locker room. I will, of course, post all of this on my socials and add the links to the show notes too. Other than that, I hope you guys stay safe as always and I'll be back in your ears next week with another No Stupid Questions episode. See you later.